You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And welcome in to a Friday edition of Crunch Time right here on the game at Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. Give us a call on the game hotline 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. The Houston Astros kick off the Lone Star Series tonight in the Juice Box. We'll talk about that matchup, LSU Run Rules Kentucky. We'll get deep into that game. Plus, more transparency issues with the Pelicans? Are we really that surprised? We'll talk about that and much more throughout today's show. My producer, temporarily is the world-famous CD, a.k.a. Clint Domang. CD, I appreciate you for gracing me with, with your presence once again. How the hell are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. How about you inside the Thunderdome? I'm doing well. It's a Friday in the Thunderdome. So... This is my first Friday fun day, you know. This is your first Friday fun day. Or is it Friday fun day? Is that what you call it? It's the Friday fun show. Friday fun show. Thank you. But fun show, fun day, same thing. It, well, it I mean, works. It's better than the Friday. Oh, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I, I, I like when Jordy busts out the Friday. It's it's all good. It's but you know, let's start it's with a little, a little extra energy for me. Right, right. <laughs> let's start with LSU. LSU baseball winning 16 to 6 last night over the Kentucky Wildcats. Looking at this game and and watching it break down, the one thing that I could picture was Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> you get a grand slam, you get a grand slam, and you get a grand slam. Everybody was hitting grand slams. I mean, there was only two, but I mean, it's rare to get one grand slam, let alone two. And the fact that it hasn't happened since 2009, I guess that means that we're going to get, we all know how that story ended in 09. So a natty 2023 could be a natty. I think that would be amazing. Me and Blaine talked about it. Wondering what if like we have women's basketball win, baseball win. Who's to say that the pressure could be on Brian Kelly to get things done in year two which gymnastics is in the finals right now yep Uh, it's it's fun yeah no doubt about it you know looking at the game last night lsu scores six runs in the first inning a two-run double by tommy white made way for a jordan thompson grand slam to make it six to nothing kentucky was able to put a run back on the board in the second before lsu tacked on eight more in the second and third, a Braden Jobert grand slam and a Cade Beloso three-run shot before Kentucky was able to score another run in the fourth, fifth, and seventh to make it 14-6. to six. 
before a pass ball scored Alex Malazzo in the seventh, and then a RBI single by Malazzo in the eighth made it sixteen to six, and that would be your final score. Gavin Duga might be the story of the night, though. Uh, it, it appeared that he separated a shoulder during the game last night. We haven't gotten an injury update yet from Jay Johnson, obviously waiting for tests to be run and the doctors to fully determine what happened and the timetable for his return. But man, this LSU baseball team is getting hit with injuries in and out throughout this season so far. It's not a great way to kind of get things going in the middle of SEC play, having these injuries pop up, like you said, left and right. Yeah, I mean, you had had Tommy White get hurt during the season opener, and he missed two weeks. Now you've got Gavin Duga, and then a lot of the other ones are really just nagging injuries that that are keeping guys out for a game here and there. Um, But right now, in the middle of April, you really want to have everybody clicking to make a run towards the SEC tournament because, like we looked at the other day, even though LSU is the top-ranked team in college baseball, they would be the sixth ranked team in the SEC tournament. Now they would be the two seed. I apologize. They have taken control of the SEC West, so they would be the two seed in that instance. But the other day you were looking at it and they were going to be the six seed, uh, which is absolutely wild to think about. The SEC might want to look at changing the way they do tournament seeding. But when you see an LSU baseball team like this, I know obviously we, we, we've, we've talked about the idea of them winning a national championship this year. From an opponent's perspective, CD, how do you prepare for a team like this? I mean, Dylan Cruz, Tommy White, Trey Morgan, Braden Jobert, Gavin Duga. I mean, they've got power one through nine all the way through the order. How do you prepare for that? I don't think you can, honestly. I hate to sound like that, but when you have everything that LSU has, top to bottom, I think the thing you have to prepare for is once you get past Paul Skeens. Because what I've seen is, I mean, Skeens is absolutely one of the best pitchers LSU has by a mile. Absolutely. Everybody else is good, but not necessarily at that top level like we see Paul Skeens. And what's, and what's wild is, you know, you look at Paul Skeens, he went six innings last night, gave up seven hits, five runs, four of them were earned, but he still managed to strike out 13. Yeah, if you had those kind of numbers, like, at the end of the day, it doesn't help, doesn't hurt him that he has a lot of run support. I mean, last week he, he suffered his first loss, bounced back fairly nicely, but the fact that he's racking up those Ks, mm-hmm. if this were like the MLB, I think he'd be in the run running for the Cy Young at this point in the season. I think he would have to be. I mean, his numbers are just, I mean, just gaudy. in terms of the counting stats. If you if you look at it a little bit deeper, he's allowing home runs. It's a lot like Garrett Cole before and after the Astros. I would say. You know, if if you look at his numbers in nine appearances, he has an ERA of one point six nine. He has a six and one record. Uh, he has two shutouts on the season. He's pitched 53 and a third innings, given up 28 hits, 12 runs. Ten of those were earned. He's walked nine, and he has struck out 104. The next closest pitcher on LSU's pitching staff in terms of strikeouts 
is Ty Floyd with 38. That's it's a wide margin. He has a plus 66 advantage on the rest of his pitching staff in terms of strikeouts. Yeah, that that is disgusting. Batting batters are hitting 150 against him. Those are numbers that you'd be scared about if you're if you're a team playing against LSU in the next several weeks. And you know, we can talk about it later with the Cajuns scheduled the rest of the way. But you got Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Georgia, Auburn, Alabama. Not necessarily the teams that you're scared about right here, right now. After this week, the road gets a little bit easier. The road gets easier. a little easier, um, which is crazy to think about because you look at this team at 28-5 and five and go, can it really get much easier? But but I think it's going to. Because, I mean, like like I said, the rest you've got the rest of the West to go. And the West, if you haven't looked at the standings, it is god-awful. A combined... Uh, See eleven, they've got a, a combined thirteen, fourteen wins combined in conference play in Alabama, Auburn, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss. That's not just mid; that's god awful. And you throw in Georgia, three and nine in conference play heading into Friday's yep. actions. So at the end of the day, you've got a very good chance to really run away with. Absolutely. The SEC West, secure number two seed, and then you're probably going to have to deal with Vandy down the road, or maybe Vandy kind of steps away because, again, the SEC tournament is always a weird duck, more because of the fact you're having to play against some of the better teams and also some of those teams might wind up saying, you know what, our hay's in the barn, we got our national seed, let's move on. LSU is going to try and further solidify that. That's why we've called it for years, the Palmineri Invitational. They don't mind bolstering that resume a little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you look at tonight's game, 6.30 from Alex Box before they play again tomorrow at 1. And then on Tuesday is when things get real interesting as you have LSU and Louisiana in Alex Box Stadium. That'll be a 6.30 first pitch on Tuesday. That game's always fun. The fact they they play together, just that alone is enough to kind of like get the blood boiling a little bit and make you feel like, hey, it's that time of year when the Cajuns and Tigers play that's always going to be must-watch television, much listen to radio, especially here on the game. Yeah, no no question, no question. You know, look at the poll question. Speaking of questions, let's look at the poll question of the day. Should the MLB create an in-season tournament similar to what the MLB has done? The NBA, you mean? The NBA, I'm sorry. It's all good. I was like, the MLB making an in-season tournament similar to what the NBA has done? The MLB has done? Okay. Interesting. Yes, it makes for more competition. No, it's too much change. Maybe tell me more, or I don't like fun. So far, 46% of you say no, it would be too much change. 25% of you say tell me more. 21% say yes for more competition. And then 8% of you say that you don't like fun. Who are those people that don't like fun? Like, why doesn't Twitter tell us this? I, I wish they did, but then know, again, you know, after tomorrow, you can't vote on a poll till unless you have the blue check mark. Yeah, my blue check mark went away today. I was not happy about it. Wait, didn't you pay for yours? I did, and you still lost it. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I stopped paying for it. <laughs> because because gotcha. I I don't feel like you should have to pay for it. So. It, yeah, um, you paid for it. Like I'm gonna miss the what? features. I'm gonna miss the features, like being able to edit a tweet 
and posting up to 10 minute long videos. Well, you're going to miss your Twitter, I think, because, you know, but, that's kind of what the direction is going, but that's a different conversation. I'm about to move everything over to Facebook, but move it over to Substack. Substack, yeah, that's true. Um, Clint, do you think the MLB should do an in season tournament? I think they should, honestly. The way, and honestly, I would probably do it and take out the All Star game. Really? Yeah. Like, now, would you do the tournament at the same time as the All-Star game? Like, I'd do it over the – like, I'd basically say, all right, we're going to do two weeks in-season, like, mid-season tournament, make it the Midsummer Classic tourney. I think that's the way I'd want to do it, have the best teams face off. And, hell, you can do it any way you want, really. Like, you could do do regular nine in – just have it be, like, a single elimination game over the course of, like, two weeks. I like that idea. Midsummer Classic turn, I like that idea. Like, yes, you get rid of the home run derby, but I think guys like Kevin Foote would be okay with that. Because if you ask him, home run derbies are the worst things for players. I mean, I think you could still do the home run derby. I think you could figure out a way to still have the home run derby. So, like, what I, so if we want to keep the home run derby, here's how we would kind of go about it, all right? You'd have, and this is just me thinking out loud. I know Dawson had an idea. I don't remember the whole thing because I was either in transition from getting out of my house this morning to come over here to the studios or somewhere along those lines. So my idea is you start off with eight teams, right? Okay. Eight team, nine inning games. But if the game's tied, we go to a home run derby. When, and you basically, you have your two best guys, two guys that you know can absolutely mash. Those two go at it, one round. Whoever wins that, wins it. That's that's how the, the games get decided in the event of a tie after nine innings. And you go single elimination until you get to the finals. It's a, would say, eight to ten team tournament. Then you have the best. Then it's a best of five. I'm I'm a big fan of this. I'm actually a really big fan of Rob this. Manfred. I hate you, but hit me up. So we'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time. We've got a fantastic lineup for you today, including Toby Christie to come on talking about the NASCAR race this weekend over in Martinsville. There's a very popular NASCAR driver CD. You may have heard of him. His name is Chase Elliott. Okay. He's returning this weekend after breaking his leg in a snowboarding accident six weeks ago. What was he doing snowboarding? He was snowboarding for fun right before the season, the NASCAR season got underway. And I thought they outlawed that kind of stuff because, I mean, Brittany Griner, I know when she went into the WNBA, if I'm not mistaken, she had to wind up like signing a contract that said she wouldn't skateboard during the offseason or something. Um, apparently, they didn't do that in NASCAR because... Well, I mean, you already got inherent risk with with crashes and stuff to do that anyway. So I guess that maybe, you know, it's it's kind of a weird slippery slope. So we'll talk to Toby about Chase's return and what that means for the field. We'll also talk to Jake Crane at the top of hour number two each and every Friday. We do Jake's takes right here on the game. Plus an NBA playoffs preview with Tyler Batiste of The Athletic coming up and much more right here on the game. Had a rough day at work. Got lady problems? Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. 
Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Crunch Time 421 here on your Friday. Matt Miguez, Clint Doming. Give us a call on The Game Hotline 337-706-0111. We talked yesterday about the New Orleans Pelicans and what it was going to take for them to turn a corner this offseason. Well, I'm here to tell you, they're not off to a very good start. Today, they held their, I guess you could call it exit interviews, uh, their final media availability before the offseason. And David Griffin was asked about Zion Williamson and his injury status and the comments that he made about you know not being mentally prepared things of that nature and this is a direct quote from the executive vice president says i think there's been a lot put on him that's not fair some of it was his own doing quite frankly he came up here the other day and told you all that he was physically fine And nobody followed up on what that means. He wasn't physically cleared to play basketball. So, physically I'm fine. It means you're not injured anymore. But that doesn't mean that you were cleared to play basketball. So now, this takes... In my opinion, this takes all the heat off of Zion and puts it all on the front office. How are you going to have your star player speak to the media and you are not on the same page about what his status is? How? How can you run a franchise that way? You know, I've always had certain things about David Griffin that gave me pause. But they were minor things. I was willing to overlook them if he was able to run the Pelicans well. But the longer that time passes... The more I'm sitting here questioning why the hell David Griffin is running the Pelicans. Because he then continued and said he makes the one misstatement saying physically I'm fine. Had I been here, I would have clarified it immediately. When you're going through a rehab process and the player does not report, I'm very confident in this movement. You don't go to the next movement. You shouldn't have had to clarify it because y'all should have been on the same page before he even stepped foot in front of a microphone or a camera. That's the issue. I understand he's a grown man and can say whatever he wants, but at the end of the day, you run a business. You make sure you were on the same page. The communication broke down somewhere, and now the Pelicans might even look worse than they did before. Like, to me, with this whole David Griffin thing, I've been a fan of his, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, 
trying to keep my distance away from like being like, oh, hey, you know, whenever he does something like this, I'm like, he's done it before. Like, ever since he's taken over the franchise, he's been that one step forward, two steps back kind of guy. He'll just do something really good, get you really feeling good about the state of the franchise, and then kind of does a reverse Uno style. He'll do something like this and say something like this. You're like, oh, what the hell's going on? Like, he took over the franchise at a weird point, helped revitalize it, but hasn't been able to fully execute his vision. And it's a lot of it because Zion Williamson keeps getting hurt. And I'm wondering if David Griffin is that guy. Again, he helped revitalize Cleveland's franchise, which was sagging for a while, but that was more because of the guy that he had a part of the team, which if you don't remember, that was LeBron James coming back to Cleveland. Correct. Help revitalize that franchise, and then they fell off again. I don't think this team is going to hit that point where they're truly salvageable unless you really want to overhaul and spend some time getting pieces around Zion and making sure Zion can stay healthy. Wrap that cat in bubble wrap if you have to. Right now, my mindset is that David Griffin's got one more year. He has got one more year to have a home run season. What would you define as home run? That's what I'm wondering first. After what you've seen the last two years, everybody stay healthy and avoid the play-in? So, so that's kind of the, the bare minimum, right? Of yeah. Being, of being considered a home run is to... Make, make it to the second round of the playoffs. Win a playoff series. Okay. I think that's manageable. Get it, winning a playoff series, Win a getting playoff the second series. round, and then he keeps his job. I, I think if you make it to the second round of the playoffs, he keeps his job. Otherwise, I I don't know what he can really provide at this point. I mean, you've got all the resources you need. You've got great pieces: Brandon Ingram, C.J. McCollum, Jonas Valanciunas, Zion Williamson when he's healthy. Jose Alvarado, Trey Murphy, on and on. You've got great young pieces. And yet you can't do anything with it. And who knows? Maybe maybe more fault needs to be put on Willie Green than there has been. I don't know. I think like some of it can be put on Willie Green, though. It's a lot like what we say, hashtag not on Herb Jones. I think you can say not on, not on Willie Green because... Is, is it Willie Green's fault that Zion Williamson's staying hurt? Well, no. You, you, because I think that's the biggest reason why that the oh. Pelicans weren't. Were, that's the biggest reason why, number one, the Pelicans were in the playoff, play-in tournament Absolutely. to begin with. Absolutely. And number two, you have other guys like B.I. get injured, and sometimes that's just, it happens. He, had a, he was the one with the concussion, right? I'm trying to remember. Brandon Ingram had... It was a concussion, and then also I think it was a hamstring issue too. Yeah, and then obviously CJ McCollum dealing with his hand and correct. Like to a certain extent, I kind of have to respect him. I mean, Sandy said he had it for a while, but I'm like, dude, I mean, at least you played through the injury like a true veteran would. I see. I, I see the CJ thing on both sides. I, I respect him for wanting to stay on the court and, and doing what it took. He did the exact opposite opposite of what the star player did correct um i i get you know you staying on the court and doing what you have to do but at the same time like i said yesterday if you could have gotten 
the surgery in January and been recovered, why wouldn't you have done it then? I see it from both sides. Nice. So, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. But, uh, again, if you're the Pelicans, you got to figure out either putting more veteran pieces in this lineup or figure out a way to keep your stars healthy. But wouldn't you say that's easier said than done to keep players healthy? Because things happen. Zion's the one that's like, I think you've got to. He's got to get his diet in order. Number one, and number two is to make sure that he is kept in control. And I think at least to start the season, limited minutes, let him acclimate himself, and then we can put him in for longer periods of time. Because I think he's a guy that feels like, especially coming off of the injury that he has, which is a little rough. I think I'd much rather see him take some time to kind of like rest, rehab, make sure he can go for full games. Have for sure. Be a starter. I'm still I'm still dubious of your 60 games, more than 60 games played. I just, I find it very odd that both the Saints and Pelicans both have major injury issues. And yet, people aren't legit, some people are questioning it, but legitimately, People are not legitimately questioning the medical staffs. I think we're not legitimately questioning them because while, yes, they may not may have some issues in terms of the way they handle certain things, they have found stuff over at Oster. I mean, you have John Dorenbos, you had Nick Fairley with their heart, heart defects. Foster Moreau was signed as a saint. And then they find out he had Hodgkin's lymphoma. And thank goodness, apparently, it's slow spreading to where they can take it all out. Yeah. And I got he mentioned that earlier today. I saw that on Twitter. I was like, oh, that's a really bit of good news to hear from him. We hadn't heard much of an update. But seeing that, that's a great thing for the former LSU Tiger. And thankfully, the medical staff for the Saints at Oshner spent some time and, and catch these kind of things in physicals. It's just injuries are a weird weird bug and also when you have players that are getting paid gobs amount of money and essentially they aren't having to play case in point zion williamson ask jamarcus russell jamarcus russell was getting paid gobs money and he was sitting on the bench that guy that guy was a waste of talent yep but anyways we'll take a time out here on crunch time let's talk some racing toby christie of tobychristie.com joins us next Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. To crunch time here on The Game, 436, almost 437. Short track racing this weekend over in Martinsville, Virginia. Toby Christie of tobychristie.com joins us live from Martinsville. Toby, thank you so much for taking the time on this Friday afternoon, man. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Matt. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm ready for number nine to be back behind the wheel. <laughs> well, you've got uh, a very little wait to, to go to get to that. So, you know, looking at the season thus far, there have been a ton of 
moving, moving and shaking parts because you know you had William Byron get off to a hot start, and then Alex Bowman had a hot start as well. But then Hendricks been hit with penalties, and things have kind of shifted. And now Christopher Bell is atop the standings with Ross Chastain not very far behind. You know, what are your thoughts on the season up to this point? Yeah, I mean, I still think it's a Hendrick world. We're all just kind of living in it. I know Joe Gibbs Racing has Chris Rell at the top of the point standings currently, and he just won the Bristol uh, dirt race. But um, aside from that, that's the lone victory uh, on the year for Joe Gibbs Racing, and the whole name of the game right now, the NASCAR Cup Series and NASCAR in general with the playoff format is winning. Uh, and the Hendrick cars have shown time and time again to be the ones that are able to do that uh, on multiple occasions. So uh, even with the penalties, I still like the Hendrick cars as the strong force in the series currently. Uh, going forward, uh, they've got to stop being penalized, uh, obviously, if they want to be the championship favorites going down the stretch. But uh, I like the speed I'm seeing out of the Hendrick cars, and I don't see anybody really knocking them off. You know, when you when you have guys that switch teams, it seem, it feels like – there are opportunities where there's going to be some growing pains and there's going to be you know that adjustment period if you will but one guy that has really you know just two guys really that have just put the hammer down and kept kept succeeding Tyler Reddick and Kyle Busch talk about each of these guys and the success that they've had already with their new teams yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where when you see somebody move to a new team, you expect struggles out of the gates at least a little bit until everybody starts to gel. But these two guys have come out firing. Uh, I know Reddick had a couple of really rough start uh, races, Daytona, and the, the following week at Fontana. Uh, but aside from that, he's been pretty much perfect. Uh, Kyle Busch has had uh, you know some, some okay runs the last few weeks, but even when they're okay runs, he's still having speed throughout the entire race before it kind of falls apart late. So. Uh, the, the two guys are definitely uh, performing, I think, better than you would have, would have expected going into the new roles. I think people kind of expected maybe 10, 15 races in, they'd start really starting to find their legs. But uh, the two guys have definitely uh, kind of surprised me. I don't know who else they've surprised, but uh, the, the quickness of which the speed came uh, has been pretty surprising. Looking at Martinsville, you know, one of the more popular tracks in the NASCAR Cup Series, they're going to run 400 laps, only 210 miles, which makes the track a little less than half a mile. Talk about the intricacies of this course, and you know you get tight in the turns. So, you know how are drivers going to be able to control the the wreckage, if you will, this weekend? Man, it's one of my favorite tracks, and if you've never been to Martinsville, it's not just tight in the turns, it's tight everywhere. You're on pit road, you're in the garage area, everywhere. It's tight. There's just not a lot of room to move around. It looks and feels like a a typical old-school local short track, even though it's on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Uh, It's it's a really cool place, and I think there's going to probably be some hurt feelings out there uh, on Sunday because these cars were a little bit more raceable uh, in the fall at this track. Uh, In the spring, it was a very, very uh, kind of – you know, everybody follows everybody race, but once we got to the fall with the next-gen car, uh, the teams really started to kind of figuring out how to make things work. Now they've got the new aerodynamic package for these short tracks, and I think we're going to see a little bit more raceability uh, put into these next-gen cars uh, this time around, and I think we're going to start seeing some root and gouging, and I think we're going to see the uh, the old-school Martinsville uh, uh, field kind of come out on Sunday, and I, I think there will be some hurt feelings. Uh, but as far as Martinsville goes, it's a really cool racetrack, uh, super, super tight little bitty place. And uh, even for the fans that come out here, you know, $2 hot dogs. So everybody has a good time. Oh, yeah. you got to love $2 hot dogs. 
But, you know, Chase Elliott returning behind the wheel after breaking his leg right before the season gets started. When speaking or, or about talking about Chase Elliott, it, it was said earlier this week that he was going to have a driver on standby just in case you know something happened during the race where he felt like he couldn't continue. In, in your opinion, do you think he's going to need that this weekend, or, or is he going to be able to run the full race? They'll have Josh Berry uh, on on hand just in case. I don't expect him to use them. Uh, you know, knowing these race car drivers, usually when they're in any kind of injury situation or coming back from injury, the most comfortable place for them is behind the wheel of that race car. Uh, there's just something about it. The way that they're lined up in that car when they're sitting in there just feels like feels like their comfort zone. Uh, so unless he's involved in something on the track, uh, incident-wise, and the car's kind of beat up and they have to kind of repair it and get him back out there, I think we're going to be seeing Chase Elliott go the duration of the event. I, I just find it hard to believe that he would walk out of the out of the car, um, especially with all the testing and stuff like that they did earlier this week on the simulator to make sure he was good to go for a long, sustained run in a car. Uh, I feel like I feel like we're going to see Chase Elliott run the duration of the event. Now, looking at Chase's season so far, he's down in 34th place in the standings. Obviously, there's still plenty of racing left to go, so he's not out of it yet. But he, he's got a lot of ground to make up. In, in your opinion, what's the what's the game plan for Hendrick to put the number nine car back in the playoffs? Oh, the game plan is easy: win a race. That's the the beauty of this playoff format. Is if you win a race, you're in. So. Uh, and with NASCAR scrapping the top 30 rule, he doesn't have to worry about getting back into the top 30 of the point standings anymore. Uh, so literally, he wins a race, he's in. He wins two races, he's definitely in. There's no no chance, even if we have 16 winners, uh, if he has two wins, he's not going to get knocked out. So uh, for Chase Elliott, it's win races. Uh, if you can win two, you're for sure in. If you win one, you're pretty much most likely in. We've never seen a winner uh, that's in a position to make the playoffs not make it to the playoffs uh, by way of this new playoff format. You win a race you're locked in the playoffs. So uh, that's that's the easiest part about it uh, for them. I think the hardest part is finding a way to win uh, after a six-week layoff. I think it's going to be a little difficult to shake off the rust uh, you know, initially, especially with these guys all kind of having the, the, the fluids pumping the last few weeks without him. Uh, so he's going to have to get in there and uh, kind of get thrown to the wolves immediately at Martinsville, and hopefully he can come out and have a good run. Uh, but you know, the easy solution is just win a race. Chatting with Toby Christie of tobychristie.com here on Crunch time. Looking at the truck race tonight in Martinsville, Zane Smith sitting on the pole. He's had a strong start to the season. Uh, who, who are your favorites to win the truck race tonight? Oh, man, yeah, Zane Smith's really good. I think you'd be crazy if you count my, uh, you know, Kyle Busch out, who's starting on the outside pole. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be probably Zane Smith's biggest competition, but I like Zane Smith uh, in this race. He's been uh, really steady this season, that, that front row motorsports team, uh, when it comes to the trucks and even cup now. Uh, is very, very solid, and I, I think they've got a really good piece under him, but he's going to have to fight with Kyle Busch. Those will be the two, I think. I know it's easy to say because they're starting on the front row, but those are the two I'd pick for the win. And then what about the Xfinity Series tomorrow? Who who are you watching? Man, I would I would say for sure Josh Berry. He's a guy who is a specialist at Martinsville. He's run a lot of late model uh, stuff at this racetrack. Uh, he's won a race here uh, in the Xfinity Series. Uh, I would say Josh Josh Berry's got my favorite, and that's without seeing any any laps on the track with their cars this week. Uh, but I would say Josh Berry's the early favorite. Now, looking at the the rest of the season, when when looking at the schedule, there's definitely some interesting dynamics here. When when you look at the schedule, obviously we've talked 
a couple of times now about them going back to North Wilkesboro for the All-Star race. Obviously, you have the Chicago street race in July. Do you see NASCAR doing anything more like that? Obviously, you have the Clash of the Coliseum, and now you have the street race. Could you see more of that style coming into NASCAR? I think everything's on the table at this point. I think NASCAR has made that pretty clear that they're willing to shake things up uh, if it's an interesting opportunity that puts them in an, inter- in, an, in an interesting market. Easy enough for me to say, my goodness. Um, but, yeah, I think Wilkesboro will be interesting. I know there's some talk about that second Bristol race. We don't know for sure if it's going to be back on the dirt next year. And if it's not back on the dirt next year, that, that date could be moving. And if it moves, it could go to North Wilkesboro, which could open up the All-Star Weekend or it could open up that second Bristol date to another track. So there's a lot of things still up in the air as far as next year's schedule goes. Uh, but I think NASCAR has made it uh, pretty pretty clear that they are willing to do uh, whatever it takes to get some cool, interesting things on the schedule and to make the schedule as diverse as possible. Uh, I mean, to have you know short tracks, road courses, street courses, uh, super speedways, uh, intermediates, uh, you know, everything uh, that you can imagine on the, on the schedule. Uh, I, I think when you look at the schedule, it's one of the most diverse in all of motorsport. You see, you brought up the dirt race. Is NASCAR not not a fan of, of the idea? Because it seems like from the fan perspective that, that it's been very enjoyable so far. Yeah, I don't think it's the thing that NASCAR is uh, not a fan of it. Uh, I think as far as what we may see, we may see it go to a different dirt track uh, at some point. Who knows? Uh, but it's all kind of an SMI call, Speedway Motorsports owns. You know, Bristol Motor Speedway, Atlanta Motor Speedway, Texas Motor Speedway, Charlotte Motor Speedway, those places. Uh, they kind of can pick what they want to do with their dates. Um, and I know it's going to be a, a topic of conversation for them based on television ratings, based on attendance, uh, and things of that nature. They kind of worked on the dirt race at Bristol to try to drum up interest in the attendance in the, the first race of the year for them. Uh, and I don't know if it's quite gotten the results they're, they're hoping for. I know last year's dirt race had a pretty good turnout. Uh, I don't know how it compared this year. Uh, so we'll see. But... Uh, that, those are kind of the rumblings we've all been hearing a little bit. Is that might be something on the chopping block. But, again, it might be back as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see it go either way. Who gets the grandfather clock on Sunday? Man, that is uh, that is the million-dollar question. If I could tell you that, I'd probably, uh, I'd probably be pretty rich uh, in the whole gambling side of things uh, <laughs> in the world today. But uh, if I were a betting guy, um, I would probably say Denny Hamlin's a pretty good bet. Uh, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing, they kind of need to get some more victories at not dirt races. And if one of them's going to get one at a, tra- at a track they're really good at, it'd be Denny Hamlin here at Martinsville. He's pretty pretty solid at Martinsville. If you win more than one race at Martinsville, what, what do you start to do with all those clocks? So I've asked guys that because it's got to be super loud when you look at guys that have like 10 or so clocks uh, in their house, like Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson have tons of clocks in their house. What do you do? So they actually just start giving them away to other people. So like they'll give them the crew chiefs, they'll give them the crew guys. Uh, because there's just too many of them. It's just, right, it's, right. You can't, you can't have a bunch of grandfather clocks just chiming off at all hours. So that's uh, a question I've always had for these guys, too, and that's kind of what they all say. Like, when they get, you know, three of them, they start handing them out to crew chiefs to, you know, signify their appreciation of them and uh, just other crew guys that have helped them along the way to get to, to, to get to all the grandfather clocks they've started winning. That's awesome. Toby Christie of tobychristie.com joining us here from Martinsville Speedway. Toby, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy the weekend, and uh, let's do it again soon, my friend. Sounds good, man. Anytime you guys need me, let me know. And there he goes, Toby Christie of tobychristie.com. We'll take a timeout, wrap up hour number one right after this. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. 
Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back, 453 here on your Friday. Met me, guys, Clint Domingue. Clint, Louisiana Raging Cajuns, three-game series this weekend against Troy, while softball has a three-game series against Texas State. What are your expectations for both of these series? I think I have the expectations are Cajuns take on the baseball diamond. I think they'd probably take two out of three there, very close game three. Now, when that game three happens, it's anybody's guess because it looks like that could be pushback due to weather and I know that's something we're kind of having to get used to mm-hmm. around here I mean Wednesday they canceled the, the McCready show and then it's like oh hey the didn't rain like a single solitary drop yep and tomorrow I think obviously there's supposed to be rain in the forecast all day then with the softball I think they probably take two out of three they're not the Texas State team of a like a few years ago where they took them to the limit and beat them at Lampson Park for the Sunbelt Conference Championship. If I'm not mistaken, this year it's going to be back at Lampson, right? The tournament is, yes. Yeah, okay, I couldn't remember off top. But I figured I was I was not far off on that. But I think the Cajuns do take both series. The Cajun softball team continues their incredible streak. That thing's got to end sooner or later, but it just feels like it's going to be a long time before that happens. So I just checked the weather for the weekend. Sunday is going to be beautiful. Tomorrow is the day in question. Yeah. So we could see game one being tonight and then a pair of double headers on Sunday. Potentially. I wouldn't hate it. Would would be possible. And then, um, then you gotta think about LSU. That's gonna be I, I just I'm I'm yeah. I'm dreading that. Uh for for myself, because like I know mm-hmm. LSU is probably gonna push it back to doubleheader on Sunday. And we've got the Ellis. We got the Astros game on Sunday night. Well, if they if they play if they get tonight's game in, which they should, they will only have one game left. Oh, true. My friend, it's, a, it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. See, this is why I hate so the what, way they're what doing you, things now. What you might see is you might see something very similar to the series of South Carolina last week. Game three might get canceled. No, no, I, I don't want that. I mean, nobody does, but I'm just saying. If they did it once, they won't hesitate to do it again. They had to do it, though, in the, in the situation they were in. They had to. No, I agree. Because I agree. it's it's designated as a day off for baseball. And thankfully, the Cajuns and the Sun Belt followed suit with that not too long after that. But it's like, I think that in this situation, tell, tell Kentucky, before today's game, hey, you know, might want to book a room for an extra night so we can get this game in, bud, because, well, yeah, yeah if they win the series, and yeah, I mean, I might be like, all right, just go ahead and punt it because you don't necessarily need it for RPI purposes, even though t- Kentucky's still somehow number one in the RPI. Make it make sense. The RPI doesn't make any sense to me. I'll never understand it. I'll just, but, I'll never get it. But like I told our guy Blaine earlier, it helped you win a national championship in 2007, so you cannot hate on computers. It certainly did. There's there's no denying that. Um, yeah, you know, baseball, I agree with you. I think they're going to take two out of three, win the series. Uh, softball? Look, Texas State is good. Make no mistake about it. But after the way things just went down against A&M and Baylor, this group for the Cajuns is fired up. 
and I do not think that they're going to be denied. I'm calling a softball sweep at Lamson Park this weekend. I love the boldness on that. I'm calling a sweep this weekend. Um, now, are they going to? Are, are some of the games going to be pretty? No. Some of them probably be three, two, gritty, grind them out kind of wins. But I, I, I predict a sweep for Jerry Glasgow and company. I wouldn't hate it. You know, getting a win over Texas State—that's nothing to shake your head at, really. That's no. a, that'd be great. But I still think you see this thing, this streak continue. So that's all that matters at the end of the day. Ten years that they haven't lost a Sun Belt series. I mean, it's Undertaker-like. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time, hour number one in the books. We'll kick off hour number two with Jake Crane, plus hear from Will Wait right after this. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez, Clint Domang. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. We're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. In our number one, we talked about the LSU Tigers run rule in Kentucky last night. Game two of that series coming up here in a little over an hour. We talked about the New Orleans Pelicans and what the hell do we do now? And then we previewed the weekend in NASCAR over in Martinsville, Virginia with our guy Toby Christie. Right now, let's look at the world of sports in general, plus get some betting picks for the weekend with our guy Jake Crane, host of Crane & Company. He joins us each and every Friday for Jake's Takes. Jake, what's going on, bud? How are you? Man, I'm doing great, guys. It's uh, it's Friday. It's always good when I'm talking to y'all because that means it's Friday. It's a Flaming Dragon Friday. Yes, it's it's on fire. Uh, The under hit today, I'm really excited about it. If if you have no idea what we're talking about on Fridays, uh, I can't refer to my brother by name and uh, the under hit today, so I was pretty excited about it. So I just I have to ask, and I feel like I've asked you this before, but how do you? keep Blaine and Cone calm and reeled in? Well, look, it's a full-time job, man. Uh, Cone's a lot easier uh, because deep down he's really like a 75-year-old trapped in a 35-year-old's body. Uh, Blaine, it's it's tougher, you know. He's like he's like a young wild horse that, we, that, that hasn't been broken yet, but he's getting better. So, uh it's uh, it's part of it. It's it's a funny dynamic, um, but uh, it's it's a full time job for sure. Yeah, you know, you talk you talk about Cone being an old man. The the get off my lawn segment is probably one yeah. of his best. I mean, yeah, he love, people love that man. They love the get off uh, the get off my lawn segment. They love the it's mid segment. Uh, we have a lot of fun, obviously. <laughs> so let's start with the New Orleans Pelicans, shall we? Mm. I mean, I've been saying it, Matt. I've been I've been saying it since I've been talking to you, and then last year, and people people thought I was crazy on social media. I can't. They shouldn't have supermax Zion. I mean, uh, the man. It's to, it's to a point now where it's affecting him mentally. I mean, I don't know how much you're really ever going to get out of this guy. You could have probably traded him to the Knicks for Julius Randle. How great would that have been down the stretch? Uh, I think what McCullum said. Uh, uh, you know, after the loss and talking about taking care of your body, I, I think that we all know who he's talking about. But uh, you, you, you know, 
again, you, you took the bait, you gave him the big money, and now you're stuck with it. Well, to to be fair, uh, according to Spotrack, he's in the final year uh, of his deal uh, of his rookie deal right now, and then he's going to get the five year one one hundred ninety four million dollar extension. Yeah. Look, I I told somebody the other day, I really think at this point forward, Zion's going to be a different player. I think he's going to be healthier. What, I don't know why what, I believe what, that. What makes you what what watching him dunk before the game or after the game that he didn't play in because he said he was physically ready but not mentally ready? I mean, I wish I could do that. But That'd you be see, great to just roll over and man, I'm just not feeling myself today. You see, here here's the interesting thing. He he said that physically he was fine and it was a mental thing, but then today David Griffin says that Zion misspoke in that statement because yeah they're running cover for him. I mean I that, that's smart. I mean I I but here Good PR you screwed up. It's the, like well of course it it's back, damage like, control. Like it's damage control. Of course yeah it's it's smart. It's I applaud him for that. It's a smart move. But the thing that that irks Pelicans fans, and then it irks me as a guy that covers them, where's the transparency? Why are they not on the same page? Man, uh, again, I I think that's been one of the one of the Pelicans' downfall in this whole process. Just think, I, I mean, this is one of many problems that have that have happened with Zion. I mean, uh, you go all, all the way back to the the teammate problem, the, the McCollum thing. I mean, it just seems like. The guy has just just become a problem. I mean, what, what you expected to be a superstar player and, and the guy that was going to help take you to the top. And, look, I hope you're right, Matt. I hope you're right. I hope he does figure it out because he's unbelievably talented when he does. But the more I look at him, the more I'm starting to see Greg Oden. But at least Greg Oden was actually physically hurt. <laughs> Chatting with Jake Crane here for Jake's Takes. You know, Looking at baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays off to a 13-0 and start. How, how much longer do you think they can keep this up? Obviously, they're not going to go 162-0. and but... No, look, yeah. Uh, it's amazing what they've done. And if you do that in Major League Baseball, I don't care who you've played. But they have played the, the Athletics. They have played the Nats. You know, they're playing the Blue Jays tonight. But it's incredibly impressive. But like you said, look, we all know if you follow baseball – the regular season is, is a marathon, not a sprint. It's the Boston Marathon. Uh, it's definitely not a sprint. So uh, I still like the Yankees in that division. But it's, you know, the Rays, man, I tell you, for a small market team, they're always there. Should the MLB adopt a, a midseason tournament like the play-in for the NBA? No, I don't. I mean, look, you know, we have interleague play. Um, I, I, I don't think you need to add any like a midseason tournament or anything like that. What you need to do is take off about 30 regular season games is what you need to do. I, I don't mind the new playoff format, you know, adding the teams to the playoffs. I don't mind that at all. Some people just hate that. I've never really understood that. But uh, I, I don't think a midseason tournament, no. Nah. So Florida held their spring game last night, and the quarterbacks – were really bad. What 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 the hell does Billy Napier do now? Well, I mean, it's the spring game, right? Like I I, I tweeted this today. If you overreact, either good or bad, to the spring game, the, the spring game is the the least is is the worst indicator. It's the least most important thing that happens during the spring. It's like going to a strip club where everybody's fully clothed. You're not going to see anything. I mean, yeah, you went to the game, but you really didn't see anything. Everybody knows everybody's called. 
whether it's on defense or offense. You're just trying to get through it. That's why, in my opinion, I think it'd be great if you were able to play like an in-state group of five team or an FCS team, like Auburn would play Troy. You would still be bread and butter, but you'd be going against a team that bread and butters you haven't heard all spring and you don't know the terminology. So, look, Florida may end up being terrible, but the transfer portal's back open and Billy Napier already said they're going to get a quarterback. So, uh, I, I think it, if you're just looking at the spring game as an indicator, that that's not a, a, a foolproof plan by any stretch of the imagination. Who wins the two play-in games tonight? Man, I tell you what, uh, I, we, we talk a lot of trash about the NBA, but, but I really do enjoy the NBA playoffs. When it comes to the games tonight, Man, uh, I was shocked the Heat got out physical by the Hawks. I, I like the Bulls, man. Levine having that fourth quarter. They played really physical as well. Give me, give me the Bulls uh, in the upset there. And then in the second one, I mean, I don't trust Minnesota in the playoffs to do anything. So give me the Thunder. How impressive have the Thunder been? I mean, the second youngest roster in the NBA. Yeah. Haven't had Chet Holmgren all season. And they're playing like a bunch of madmen right now. Again, sometimes you get the mix right, and and we always you know joke about teams that maybe they're too young to realize that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. I think you got a little bit of that with the Thunder, but the fact they're doing this without Holmgren, you know, who they're expecting to be, uh, you know, their their poor Zingas, a, a better version of it. Uh, it just shows you if Holmgren can can get healthy, that's been one of the knocks on him because I mean he's put together with bubble gum and dreams, so it's it's a matter of time before he got hurt. But uh, with the with the talent they've accumulated. The way they've put it together, there's a really good chemistry on the team, and, and I think they're going to win tonight. What picks are you making this weekend? Man, I'm all over the LSU-Kentucky uh, college baseball series. I've been betting college baseball. I absolutely love it. Uh, you know, some that I'm taking that I've taken tonight, actually. Uh, I took LSU on the money line. Uh, I like Mississippi State plus 135 at home tonight against the Ole Miss rivalry game at Super Bulldog weekend. Uh, I like Bama over Auburn tonight just because I'm hedging my emotions, so you may not want to believe in that one too much. Uh, but, look, I think you, I think parlay in LSU, parlay in Arkansas to beat Tennessee, that's the move. Jake Crane, host of Crane & Company, joining us here on Crunch Time for Jake's Takes. Jake, appreciate your time as always. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll do it again next Friday, my friend. It's always fun, buddy. See y'all. And there he goes, Jake Crane, host of Crane & Company, weekday mornings, 6.30 to 8 on YouTube. We'll take a time out here. When we return, we'll talk all things McNeese. We'll preview baseball and softball, plus hear from Will Wade about his basketball signing class next this is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. <laughs> Back to crunch time, 5.15 here on your Friday. Let's take a look at the McNeese Cowboys, Cowgirls. Softball right now currently playing against Nichols in game one of a double header at Joe Miller Field at Cowgirl Diamond. Uh, 5 o'clock for the first game, 7 o'clock for the second game, and they'll finish that one at 1 o'clock tomorrow as James Landrino's crew puts their 29-12 and 12 with an 11 and 1 record in the Southland Conference up on the line against the Colonels. Meanwhile, baseball 
Good old Justin Hill's group, 22-11. and 11. They're 4-5 and five currently in the Southland on a three-game winning streak. They are going to be in Hammond, America this weekend for a three-game set with Southeastern. Tonight, they start at 6. Tomorrow night, they start at 6. And then on Sunday at 1 p.m. from Pat Kennelly Field and Alumni Diamond but more importantly, and not really more importantly, the bigger topic of discussion right now is the signing class that Will Wade has just put together for basketball. Five new transfers. He says he's got five more coming within the next month. So we'll dive into that here in a second. But first, let's go to the game hotline now. David, what's up? Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, fantastic. So let me let me just do my own little narrative and put a narrative out there for Will Wade before I actually get to what I was saying. So how much uh, money do you think was slid under the table for those transfers and recruits? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just messing. But the reason I call is like I was listening to part of your segment, the last segment, and I don't know who the guy is, but it seems like he wants to put his own narrative out there in reference to Zion. Now, I read an article, and you may have read the same article, where David Griffin said that Zion was never cleared for three-on-three or five-on-five correct. Um, participation. Correct. Is that correct? Yes. So why should we not believe the GM of the organization? Because GMs play damage control all the time. Well... That may be the case, but even if Zion said, I'm 100% healthy, good to go, he still would not have played because he never did five on three on three or five on five. So they still would not have put him out there without getting some type of practice action in. It, it would just be stupid of them to do it. Well, I, I don't disagree with that, but then for, on the other side of that coin, when a player says that physically he's fine, the only thing holding him back is the mental side of things, that gives the impression that he was cleared to play. Uh, I, I, well, well, maybe not. Because, again, he's saying that, oh, I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling fine. The doctor didn't say anything. He didn't say anything in reference to the doctor said I was good to go. I'm saying I'm good to go. You know? Now, if the organization is saying, well, we are not sure about that just yet, we're not going to put you out there, which is the case with David Griffin, apparently, then you have to go with what the organization says. They're the ones paying your salary. Yep. No, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, it, it's, a, it's a tricky situation, and that's kind of, it kind of goes back to what we've been talking about over the last couple of days with the Pelicans needing to be more transparent with what's truly going on behind the scenes. Look, I, I personally feel that if Zion would have been playing, the Pels would be in the playoffs. No play-in game, the playoffs. Correct. Plan and sink. He was He was missed, sorely missed. Correct. But I am not going to say that you have to go and recover immediately. Hamstring injuries are notoriously hard to recover from. Anyone who's ever had one will tell you. I don't care if you're a professional athlete or just a regular day person. If you've ever tore a hamstring or just serious sprain, you it, it takes time. No, absolutely, you know, absolutely. You know, so David, I'm appreciate the call, man. Young man, have a good one. Uh, 
switching over to McNeese basketball now, Will Wade once again introduced his signing class yesterday. Five new transfers coming in to Lake Charles, and he gave his overall thoughts on the class. Yeah, excited about the, the initial uh, initial group of five here. We've got another four or five coming in the next couple, you know, next month or so, but excited about this, this, this initial group. We've got some good versatility. Coach Wade also said, like I mentioned a second ago, yes, they've brought in five new players, but they're expecting to get several more over the coming weeks. Moving forward, we still got to add some guys. You know, I want to add, you'd never be too light on shooting. We need to add a little bit more shooting, a little bit more scoring in the guard, in the guard, uh, in the guard areas. And then we, we certainly need to add another, you know, kind of wing forward, kind of a versatile piece that can play a little bit all over. And we need another couple big guys. Um, so we're, we're hard at work on that. We've got a couple of visits coming up this weekend. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll be adding to this over the next, uh, over the next couple of weeks. But my staff's done a great job. We're off to a, a, a good start with these guys, and, and my staff's been working extremely hard on it. And, you know, we've got to, uh, got to close, down, uh, close down some more guys here in the next couple of weeks. Coach Wade started going in depth on each of the players, and he started with Mike Saunders Jr., a six-foot guard, hails from Indianapolis, Indiana, and comes to McNeese by the way of Utah. Certainly Mike Saunders at point guard coming from Utah, um, somebody who didn't have you know maybe as much opportunity this past year at Utah, but when he had the opportunity when they played UCLA, was tremendous. Uh, very, very good numbers uh, at, at Cincinnati before that as well. He's somebody that I think will be ready to make an immediate impact uh, in the Southland. He's also got some great leadership qualities. Um, he really, really uh, wants to win be a part of winning. He was a part of a really good program at Lawrence North High School in Indianapolis. And so I think there's just a lot of, um, a lot of good qualities uh, with, uh, with, with Mike. He also talked about Zach Harvey, a Cincinnati transfer that has a connection to one of his former players at LSU in Tari Eason. You know, Zach Harvey is somebody who is, uh, was at Cincinnati uh, he was teammates with with Saunders and 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 with kind of the connection to all them is Tari Eason, the kid who played for me at LSU, um, and so they were all roommates with Tari. Uh, Saunders and Tari are extremely extremely close, and then Harvey was on the team with them. And so um, Harvey, you know, shot forty percent from three at, at, at Cincinnati. Had some big games. He's got a great body. Um, he was a, a highly highly touted kid. He was a kid I talked to, and, and we recruited a little bit when. When, uh, when I was at LSU, uh, he played for a really, really good AAU program uh, with, uh, with Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who's now, um, who was at Villanova, now in the NBA. So, um, you know, Zach's somebody, he hasn't played. He, he was at UCSB and didn't play this past year. He's got a little bit of a gap semester. So I think he's somebody that's gonna be hungry. Uh, he's excited about being here. I talked to him for a long time yesterday. He's got some good friends that are actually here in Lake Charles. And, um, he's chomping at the bit to get down here and, 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 and to start training. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. When we return, Tyler Batiste joins us. We'll talk NBA playoffs, and we'll get his thoughts on the New Orleans Pelicans next. Johnson throws. Boutte's got it wide open at the 10. Far side. He's in for the score. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And your home for the LSU Tigers.
Welcome back to Crunch Time. Big news for the Cajuns just discovered during that timeout. Kyle DeBarge back in the lineup for the Raging Cajuns. He'll be playing at shortstop tonight and batting in the third hole for Louisiana. Big news after his hand injury just a couple of weeks ago. But let's talk the NBA playoffs now with our guy Tyler Batiste of The Athletic. Tyler, long time no talk, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I, first question before we get into basketball, how how sad are you about your Pittsburgh Penguins cleaning house? My Pittsburgh Penguins, huh? Uh, yeah, no, I don't care. Well, whatever. <laughs> um, uh, I think people here are a little upset, but I mean, I don't. Uh, I don't think I feel strongly one way or the other. Um, uh, we'll see what happens. They've got uh, the coach is still going to be there. Um, hopefully, they get a GM that kind of uh, you know starts a new playoff streak for the people who uh, who uh, who are really invested. But I can't say that I lost a wink of sleep because the Penguins missed the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, I, I necessarily can't blame you, um, just because who wants to be a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, <laughs> right? But right, you right. know, we'll 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 leave it at that. Let's <laughs> let's look at the play-in games tonight: Bulls and Heat, Thunder and Timberwolves. Which matchup intrigues you more, and why? Um, I'll probably say the Bulls versus Heat matchup uh, is kind of intriguing, just from a standpoint that if Miami doesn't. Uh, advance to the playoffs, you, you you kind of start to wonder kind of what the uh, what the near future looks like for the Heat in that organization. Uh, they still got Kyle Lowry under a really big contract next year. Um, he's kind of been coming off the bench for a large part of the season, and, and Gabe Vincent has kind of been their starting point guard. Uh, Jimmy Butler has is, is definitely um, seems like he loves it in Miami, but he's he's let it be known in other places when he doesn't want to be there or when he feels like uh, some things around him could improve. So you start to wonder that if Miami doesn't get, you know, get to the playoffs after they've had some success the past few seasons. Obviously, they made the finals in 2020. They were, you know, a jump shot away from getting back to the finals last year. Um, if this is a situation where they start a rebuild or at least a retool um, with that roster, so that one is is pretty intriguing from that standpoint. Let's look at the playoff matchups now. Let's start in the East: Nets and Sixers. Um, I mean, th- this series. I think it's the Sixers to lose. Um, yeah. What, what what are you looking at here? How quickly does Philly get it done? I, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a sweep by any means. Um, I think Philly knows that it's probably the better team. I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets win, uh, you know, one or two games out of this out of this uh, series. But as you said, uh, this is Philly's to lose. Um, the Nets got a pretty good head start with uh, all the wins that they accumulated when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were there. Um, they've got some nice pieces. Um, uh, Mikael Bridges has been playing out of his mind. Nick Claxton is still a, a pretty good um, defensive player. He's probably not physical enough to kind of uh, limit Joel Embiid, but you know he's obviously offers some rim protection and some other stuff there. Spencer Dinwiddie's a, a, a nice player as well. I just don't think that, um, as you talked about, I don't think uh, the Sixers are going to be too worried. Um, I would say probably Sixers in. I'll give the Nets an extra game. I'll say Sixers in six. Hawks and Celtics. Uh, Celtics in five. Uh, I, I think uh, Boston has been the best team for most of the season yep. up until the last couple of months when Milwaukee sort of um, you know overtook them. Um, you know, defensively, I don't know how Atlanta keeps up with both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, obviously, DeAndre Hunter is a really good player, but uh, Bogdanovich is not really a defender. Trey Young um, 
neither. Um, and, and Boston's just like you got a pretty deep team. You're only going to play eight or nine guys in the playoffs, but they've got a couple of guys coming off the bench. Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, who would be starting on a lot of teams in this league. So I'll, I'll say Boston in five. Knicks and Cavs is going to be a series that just looks like so much fun to me. Yeah, that's. I think that's my favorite first-round series, honestly. Well, I'll say second favorite first-round series. Um, I was actually looking, uh, just looking at tickets the other uh, the other day to see what it would be like to get out to Cleveland for that. Um, I think that one's going to be really fun. Um, Donovan Mitchell, obviously, there's the storyline with how the Knicks didn't trade for him after there was so much talk about that potentially happening in the offseason. Uh, the key, obviously, for that series is probably going to be Julius Randle, I think he's listed as questionable for tomorrow's game. It sounds like he's going to try to give it a go to see how he feels in, in warm-ups. Um, if Julius Randle is there um, and is anything close to, you know, 100%, I think that probably gives uh, the Knicks a little bit of an edge in terms of, uh, of this series. But I think that one's going to go seven. And I'm going to go ahead and say that the Knicks win. But I don't feel confident in that. I might have a different answer tomorrow if you ask me. Did did the managing editor of the Athletic NBA just say he was looking at buying tickets? Yeah, man. I, I don't. I, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to a, a playoff game like that. An intense playoff game. The first first time the Cavs have made the playoffs without LeBron uh, since 1998, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think they've gotten out of the first round without LeBron in about 30 years. So yeah, I don't. I don't want to go to an atmosphere like that in Cleveland and, and sit in the press box. Uh, it have to work. Well, if I'm going mean, to go out there, I'm going to I'm going to buy a ticket myself. I'm going to have, you know, four or five beers, maybe some chicken tenders or something, I, and, and 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 have a ball. There's a casino right across the street from the from the uh, arena too. So yeah, I'm <laughs> if I'm going there, I'm not going to get in the press box, man. I I don't disagree with you, but you just walk up to the gate and pull the. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> no, no, just no, just st- step aside kind of and yet. let me not in. Yet. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> A series in the Western Conference that really stands out to me. What are your thoughts on the Lakers and Grizzlies? Yeah, man, I, I was just talking to someone about that today. I mean, uh, Anthony Davis, he played twice against Memphis this season, and I think he averaged 20 or 21 rebounds per game. Um, the Grizzlies don't have Stephen Adams. They don't have Brandon Clark. I guess they're going to try to guard him with, with Xavier Tillman and maybe uh, you know Desmond Bain, who's a little he's – a, he's a guard, but he's kind of you – know, he's got a little bit of strength. Um, I think Anthony Davis is probably the key to that series, and I know that happens a lot with the Lakers. But if he's not only healthy, but if he's aggressive and he's attacking and he's not uh, passive, if he comes into that series saying, I'm the best player in this series, which, um, you know, arguably when healthy he is, you know, it wouldn't shock me at all if the Lakers if the Lakers uh, go ahead and, 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 and take that series, maybe in seven. So um, the key with the Lakers is going to be how, again, how healthy they end up being for the next couple of months. You know, the first couple of weeks of the playoffs are a different story than when we get to get to June. But um, I'll go ahead and pick the Lakers there. I think Lakers in seven. Gross. <laughs> Gross. Clippers and Suns. You know, the, the, the Suns have been so fascinating because obviously Devin Booker – you know what type of player he is. Kevin Durant right. is, is one of the greatest players, arguably, of all time. But the to me, at least, the chemistry feels a little... Maybe they're still going through the adjustment period. I'm not sure. This is an interesting series with the Suns and the Clippers. Yeah, I think it's interesting on paper. I don't think the Clippers uh, honestly have much of a chance if Paul George is not playing. It doesn't sound like that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, I agree. I think, I mean, the, the, the Suns are still trying to find find their way as a unit, but they've been finding their way with, with that 
kind of new big three and they haven't lost the game. They're still 8-0. Um, and, and, and I think it's interesting because they're kind of playing with house money this season, right? Like if, if the Suns don't advance to the finals or don't win a championship, you know, they only played eight regular season games with Kevin Durant. The window for them is a lot more than this season. It's a lot of different situations than, say, Kyrie Irving and the Mavericks, where he can sign wherever he wants this this offseason. Uh, Kevin Durant's on the contract for three more years. Devin Booker's on the contract for longer than that. Chris Paul has a partially guaranteed contract next year and a non-guarantee the year after. So if they want to make some moves, they have that flexibility. Um, having Durant and Booker as your uh, one-two punch, maybe Durant and Booker now, and then maybe in a couple years it's Booker-Durant. Um, I think that's a pretty good starting point. So they might be playing with a little bit less pressure knowing that they've got so much of a uh, a long runway there. So, but I'm going to say uh, Suns in. Uh, I'll say Suns in six. What 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 do the Pelicans do? <laughs> I think they uh, they they go to church and they pray that Zion can get healthy. Um, <laughs> uh, you kind of saw what CJ McCollum uh, said earlier this week. He kind of you know ha- was pretty honest about you know the the key for them is having their entire team around. I, I think a lot of people took that as a, a not so subtle shot at Zion Williamson. Um, you know, I, I know it's disappointing for a lot of fans who can kind of look at the standings that um, ended up with the Western Conference. You know, everybody kind of jumbled together and saying, hey, Zion missed, you know, three and a half months of the season. If the Pelicans get eight more wins during that time, they're, a, you know, a top three seed in the West. Um, it's tough to, to look at that. And I think it's probably even more frustrating because you've seen, especially in December this past year, you've seen the flashes of what they look like when Zion is there. They were, were hovering around the top of the Western Conference. Um, I, yeah, that's not a whole lot of a, um, you know, a strategy to just kind of hope and pray that he stays healthy, but um, he's, got, he's under contract for a few years, and, and that's what you got to hope for. They've got nice pieces with Brandon Ingram, and Trey Murphy had a fantastic season. Um, he obviously looks like a, um, a starter, high-level starter in the league. You just got to hope that, uh, that, that, that the health comes around for Zion and, and you can kind of continue to build on the chemistry of the past, uh, the past couple years. Tyler Baptiste of The Athletic joining us here on Crunch Time. Tyler, appreciate your time, man. Enjoy the weekend of NBA playoff basketball, and uh, we'll talk again soon. You too. Thanks for having me, man. And there he goes, Tyler Baptiste of The Athletic. Really quickly, want to remind you, AcadianaDeals.com, score a $15 gift certificate to Pizza Artista for only $7.50. But you gotta hurry. We're gonna sell out. AcadianaDeals.com, $15 to Pizza Artista for only $7.50. We'll take a time out here when we return. We'll talk all things black and gold and get you on your way to the weekend right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez, Clint Domang wrapping up today's show here on a Friday. With the NFL draft approaching, people start to you know look back in history and look at some of the key draft picks for their franchise and maybe some of the draft picks that really didn't work out. Um, so Clint and I are going to sit here And we're going to kind of do that same thing. We're going to look at the best overall draft class for the New Orleans Saints, as well as the worst draft class. And then we'll do best individual draft pick and worst individual draft pick. So 
let's start with the best draft class. Clint, what is your answer? I think right out of the gate, I think it's cheap to say, but at the end of the day, I think we all can agree that 2017 mm-hmm. may be the best Saints draft class of all time. When you look at it from top to bottom, it is absolutely loaded with a like talent that maybe not first ballot Hall of Fame, but could be Hall of Famers down the road, like guys like Alvin Kamara. It's it's like one of my favorite draft classes of all time. The the two that I've heard the most are either 2017 or 2006. Because 2006, you had Reggie Bush and Jari Evans and. I want to say Zach Streif was in that class as well. Uh, you, you had a couple of key pieces there, but man, when Roman you, Harper, Roman Harper, but man, when you look at this 2017 class, I mean, Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramshack, Marcus Williams, Alvin Kamara, Trey Hendrickson. I mean, up and down, these guys made impacts for you. I think 2017 is a bigger deal because you have like everybody, almost everybody in that draft class has had some kind of significant impact, be it with the Saints. Or with other franchises like the Cincinnati Bengals with Trey Hendrickson. Excuse me. Meanwhile, you look at the first three picks, absolutely phenomenal players. Reggie Bush didn't necessarily pan out as well as maybe we expected him to coming out of USC. Roman Harper, absolute stud. You you interviewed him in SEC Media Days last year. I did. Jari Evans. Great dude, by the way. No, absolutely nothing but love for him. And then you got Zach Streif and Marcus Colson, your last two picks, but the other guys, Rob Ninkovich, decent player, but then you got Mike Haas and Josh Lay, kind of two. Who? Like, you Mm -hmm. never heard of those two cats after that. But you were able to get really good picks early on in the first four rounds, and then two, like, diamonds in the roughs in the seventh round that turned out to be some of the best players in the history of the franchise. Yeah, no no doubt about it. And then, you know, when you look at the worst – draft class it's crazy and and obviously of course this is just an opinion if you had there's no right or wrong answer to this it's mind-blowing to me though that from my point of view you can have your best draft class one year and then your worst draft class the very next year 2018 was abysmal i'm interested you brought you bring that up it's abysmal marcus davenport didn't work for you. Never really provided you anything overall over, over the grand scheme. He didn't work out. And you traded up to get him. Yeah. That that failed. Your second pick in that draft, Traquan Smith. Woohoo. Because that's worked out real well for you also. He's got that one game a year. And then you go to the fourth round. Rick Leonard. Who? That cat got released like three weeks into the season, his rookie year. Yeah. That was a fail. Natrell Jamerson. That's a name. I mean, yeah, but he hasn't, he, he didn't do anything with the Saints. The Saints cut him at the end of the summer. He didn't even make it to the regular season. Yeah. But again, like round six, those are kind of expected, though, right? And then you go to round six, Cameron Moore. Okay player, but not not really. He, he, again, didn't do a whole lot for the Saints. Boston Scott was a solid pick for the Saints for a little while, and then you let him, you let him go, and now he's having success in Philadelphia. And then you got Will Clapp. 
which again is a guy that you don't have. He was a and here's the thing though, Will Clapp and may have been one of the better players from this draft class, more just because he was available and helped out a lot in terms of offensive line depth, and that was about it. And the fact they drafted a player at LSU was a shock enough to everybody. If if you look at that draft, there are three players graded F, and then one player is graded D. And then you have a C and two Bs. That's not good. No. That's horrible, actually. Um, So that's why I say 2018 is the worst draft class in, in Saints history. Clint, what about you? All right, so for me, I think we go with – there's two in particular that I'm thinking about, but I'm going to go with the one because I feel like I need to bring it up now. The 1999 draft class. Okay. Because you literally just got one. That was the Ricky Williams year. Correct. Because like, you, you, you gave up everything. everything. You gave up everything for Ricky Williams. So yes, Ricky Williams, damn good player, but you, know, you only had him around for what – three, four years, you let him go after the 03 season because he got Deuce and Deuce popped off. Right. Like, you gave up, and mind you, you look at the list of players that wound up getting drafted in those spots, it makes sense. Kate McCown, Dwayne Bates, Nate Stinson, Kareem Samuel, Desmond Clark, Billy Miller. The only name I know in this list is LeVar Arrington. He was the first-round pick in 2000, which would have been nice, but again, you know, is what it is. So when you look at that, it's a lot of who that you had in that trade to get the fifth overall pick to get Ricky Williams. Good player. Again, not hating on him. But he was only there for four years before you shipped him off to Miami. Then he retired, unretired, all that stuff. Nothing but respect for the guy. But only having one pick in that draft hurt you a lot. Yeah, no, no question about it. No question about it. Now... When you look at individual picks, greatest single draft pick in Saints history. I've heard a lot of names for this one. There's a lot that you could pick from. I'm going with Deuce McAllister. And that's my favorite player, by the way. I don't think we've ever talked about this. Call it a cop-out if you want, but I'm going with Deuce McAllister. It's bull, I'll tell you that right now. I think he obviously he's been such an impact player for the Saints in those early two thousand those mid two thousands, like lean years. Yep. But I don't think he was the best pick of all time for the New Orleans Saints. Over the last twenty years, he definitely belongs in that top five. But I think one in particular you're sleeping on, I think we gotta go on the defensive side of the football. It's gotta be Cam Jordan. First round pick. 2011, absolutely phenomenal. And then we could also go a little bit further down the line, Mark Ingram. Yep. Mark Ingram could be a really solid choice. I know and I understand that maybe that take kind of hasn't aged all that well after what happened in his second go-around with the Saints, but he was a damn good player for the bulk of his career. And then Cam Jordan. Cam Jordan is going to be a Saint for life, and without a doubt, one of the best Saints defensive linemen in the history of the league. And again, this is recency bias. We're, we're some younger guys, but I'm sure there's some people that maybe will have different selections in that list of Ricky guys. Jackson. Ricky Jackson absolutely should be there. Willie Rofe, hello. Mm-hmm. He's a number, he was the eighth pick in the draft in 1993. There's no doubt he deserves to be in that list. 
I yeah, think, I mean, there's there, there's plenty that you could go with, and and none of them are wrong. Yeah, uh, you you could all argue that each of those guys we just talked about being in the terms best of draft val- pick ever. In terms of value, though, Colston, Colston, or Kamara. Yeah, Kamara was like a third round, third pick, round pick, and even I, I remember I was at walk ons the night that happened, hanging out. One of my friends was about to graduate college and go on to be out of state, so it was kind of a going away party for her as well. And we went to walk-ons. I'm literally seeing the alert pop up on my phone. I'm like, who's Alvin Kamara? Yeah, I had no idea who he was. And then I'm like, oh. Then I, you see him after like the first week of the season. I was like, all right, this is my favorite player. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, no, I, when, I remember the same thing that you just said. When, when he got drafted, I was like, who, who the heck is this guy? But then you saw him through training camp and in the preseason. You're like, okay, you know, this guy might be pretty good. But, all right, worst draft pick. In Saints history, who you got? God, you could go like you could go fifty million different directions on this one, but I think we I think we might wind up agreeing on this one. I know there, you said there's no such thing as a wrong answer, but I think you can pretty much pick and choose from that 2014 draft class. And I'll I'll just throw out Stanley Jean Baptiste. That's the immediate one. You Close think- second though, Stefan Anthony. So both of those are are valid, but I'm going to pull one out that you probably haven't heard in a long time. Okay. Jonathan Sullivan. That's a name that I I just, I remember a lot. He was the sixth overall pick in the 2003 NFL draft by the Saints. Yeah. Played for three seasons, appeared in 36 games. Had one and a half sacks, 57 tackles. The Saints released him after the third season, and he never played in the NFL again. I mean, Stanley Jean-Baptiste got him beat by Country Mile. Cat only played five games. I mean, that's fair. Five! But Stanley Jean... Was Stanley Jean-Baptiste a first-rounder? Yes! No, 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 no. Second-rounder. He was a second-rounder. But still, like... This dude was the sixth overall pick! But still, second round, 58th overall pick, and he plays five games. That that's a that's a toss up there. I mean, Stephon Anthony had potential, but he just never quite got to that point. Right. Kikaha had a gr- big breakout year, but he his ACL kept giving him issues. I can't put him in that list because man, Kikaha had like a phenomenal first season in the NFL. Jonathan Sullivan. It's not, it's not as much of a deep cut as you think. Mind you, again, I spent an inordinate amount of time in my high school years playing Madden 04, so that name is like ingrained and you know, in my head. I didn't even really think about Stanley Jean-Baptiste because he played so little. But that's why. like His name didn't even come to mind. Yeah, like, it should be the one of the first names that comes to mind when it comes to like draft picks that you are the absolute worst in Saints history it's by cer- far. It's certainly up there. It's certainly I'll up throw there. In, I'll throw in one more, then we kind of wrap up the show. In terms of a value draft pick, I think I completely kind of slipped my mind. A guy who just recently left the Saints franchise, David Onyemane. Oh, God, yeah. Dude, literally came from, like, Nigeria, played in football in Canada, and transitioned to the NFL really well. Yeah. I'm, I, that guy, I was like, okay, I'm intrigued by him. Let's see how he does. Probably be a little raw. Little did I know how good that guy would be on the defensive line. And you let him go. 
story of the Saints over the last like five, six years. Thank you, Drew Brees. That's going to do it for today's edition of Crunch Time right here on The Game. want to take the opportunity to thank our guest today, Toby Christie, Tyler Batiste, as well as Jake Crane. For Clint Domingue, I'm James Mesh. Be safe. I'm... Wow. R- really? <laughs> Am I? I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> for Clint Domingue, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe. Be well. Give a hug to your mom and him. And we'll be back on Monday right here on The Game. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.